Well, the book of 2 Corinthians is, I think, fair to say an often avoided book, particularly in talking about preaching, uh, because it is assumed to have a particular purpose that I don't think is the actual purpose. I think if I were to take a poll of people of what do you think is the purpose of 2 Corinthians, the most general answer is, well, it's Paul defending his apostleship. And if Paul defending his apostleship, everybody in this room thinks Paul was an apostle, so we don't need that book, and let's go on to another book, right? And that's, I think, often how 2 Corinthians gets treated as well. We don't need that one. We all think Paul's an apostle, and, and, and that's the end of it. And so perhaps the most attention that the book of 2 Corinthians gets is chapters 8 and 9. You've got to be a cheerful giver. And then at the very end of the book where we have the thorn in the flesh. And those are probably about the two sections we know and everything else is kind of just Paul talking about himself. And so what's the real point? And and so I'm looking forward to showing you that that's really not at all what the book is about. In fact, Paul expresses what the purpose of the book was when he says this at the very end. In chapter 12, verse 19, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, Slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Notice what the Apostle Paul says is, so you think this whole letter has been about me defending myself, right? And he goes, actually, there was a function, there was a purpose behind that. And the reason I was talking that way about our apostleship and defending that was to build you up and to encourage you. And the way that he goes about doing that in this book is particularly fascinating because he's encouraging them to walk as he walked and do as he does. And he's going to encourage them in proper love and in proper Christian attitudes as he describes what he himself did in regards to the Corinthians as well as Timothy and others who were with them. And so I hope that would maybe give you a more exciting lens to the book that the Apostle Paul is not just simply talking about him saying, let me just prove to you I'm an apostle, but he uses himself and that defense to try to describe to Christians, here's how you're supposed to act and here's how you're supposed to think, here's how you're supposed to love, here's how you're supposed to see your Christian mission. And we're going to see that a lot as we go through this book. The very beginning really sets the tone and the thesis of the idea of what this book is about. You might have noticed as it was being read to you that he says comfort a lot, right? Uh, Ten times in five verses you get comfort, comfort, comfort. You just can't miss the repetition of the Apostle Paul as he opens a letter here. And the purpose of this is to give these Christians comfort and to do that in the face of suffering in the face of difficulty in the face of trials in the face of pain and challenges of life he says i'm going to open this letter up to you and i want to begin by talking to you about the comfort that you are able to have in christ he begins in verse three you will notice as he says that is the god of mercy or the father of mercies And the God of all comfort. 
If there's any place that we are going to find mercy, to find consolation, to find peace and rest and comfort, it's going to be in God alone. God is the one who is the dispenser of all comfort. He is the one who can give you the true comfort that you are looking for. And notice how he describes it there as he goes at the end of verse 3, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Now the word affliction here is a very broad word. The word affliction, we sometimes would think of an affliction, you say, well that means like an illness. And sometimes we use it like that. And we might even think of affliction like persecution. But the word is extremely broad and it just means pressure or compression, distress. Whatever the distress is, whatever the pressure is, you have the God of all comfort who comforts us in that distress, in that pressure, in that difficulty. That is what God does. And notice how the Apostle Paul words that because I think that's where the challenge comes in is the middle of verse 4 he says, so he comforts us in all of our affliction. I would like that better to say he comforts us from all of our affliction. (laughs) Right? All right. Here comes affliction, and now God take it away. Right? Comfort us from that affliction. Just right on out of here. So as soon as we come to God, God, the, the God of all comfort, will just take it all away. And notice that's not how Paul describes this. He says that God is the comfort. In the affliction. He is the comfort during the distress. In the midst of the pressure, you have the God of all comfort. Which then opens this letter by us considering that escaping pressure may not necessarily be the goal. Is sometimes we approach trials and challenges and suffering and distress and pressure as, well, how can I get out of this? <laughs> make it end, make it stop, make it quit, get me out of here. The Apostle Paul begins by saying that may not be the proper lens. In fact, what you will be able to see is that God is a God of comfort in the midst of the distress. That it isn't just simply God is a God of comfort so that when your distress is over, there is God. No, in the middle of the affliction, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the distress, God is the God of comfort through that. And so what we do as Paul begins this is to consider, well, how would we look for that comfort? And I believe if we were to ask, so how does God comfort? How are we going to receive comfort from God in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our distress, in the midst of our difficulties? Perhaps the first answer that would probably come to mind is, well, we would look at the promises of God. We could look at the Word of God. We could look at the faithfulness of God. There are a lot of things that we can do like that. To be able to provide us comfort. Look how God has helped you before. Hold on to the promises of God. We even sang in a song this morning about God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And these are great promises that we will cling to. But I want you to observe that's not the answer Paul gives at least for this. There are certainly other places where we read about that. But here in talking about comfort, 
Notice what he says there in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He says, here is the God of all comfort. And Paul says, God has comforted us so that we can comfort you. That's why you see this repetition of comfort throughout these five verses as he keeps saying it. We've been comforted and we're going to use that to comfort you. And so he gives us the same picture here when he says here, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, in any distress, in any pressure. What this means then is the comfort that we find in Christ, what we receive to help us through our distress and to help us through our pressure, that comfort is not supposed to terminate on us. It's not supposed to be, here I am in the midst of a trial and I am enjoying the comfort of God and I appreciate the comfort that has been able to help me endure and get through to the stress and bring me through and so therefore I am pleased and happy. He says, no, there's something you're supposed to do with that. He says, you're supposed to view yourself as a conduit of God's comfort. If you have been comforted by God, now you are supposed to comfort others. And that's what Paul says he's doing. He says, we have been comforted by God so that we can comfort others who are in any affliction at all. And that's what he wants them to do. I want you to see the comfort that you have enjoyed from God as simply a means by which you now can turn around and comfort other people. Now, what do we usually do when other people are suffering and they come to us and they say, you know, I'm going through this and it's been really hard and I'm really having a hard time. This is really difficult and I'm in a lot of distress and a lot of pain and all that. What do we usually do? Oh, well, you think that's bad. You ought to listen to how bad it is for me. Right? That's, that's typical, you know, oh, yeah, you've got it tough. Just let me, let me trump that one. Oh, man, you think your pain has been for a week? I've had it for a month. If you think you've been sad for a month, I've had it for a year. This is what we play games with each other and go, oh, here's my comfort to you. I have it worse. That's not comfort. Good for you that you have it worse, but it still hurts me. I'm still in distress. Paul does not say, I am the God of all comfort, and here's the comfort that I give you, I've had it worse. I mean, Paul could do that, right? If anybody's had it worse. And Paul could come in and go, here's the comfort that I have for you, look at my life, I've had it worse, period, close book, go home, be quiet, (laughs) right? That's not it. But so often that's what we want to do, is we just compare, compare, compare. And what God is telling us to do is to recognize that the one of the purposes that is given to us by God for suffering is to comfort other people. One of the purposes that is given to you by God when you go through suffering is to use that to comfort other people. You may not have experienced the same thing or have gone through something similar, but you've gone through distress, you've gone through pressure so that you can be compassionate toward other people. And I think that's how Paul words that. 
Because the suffering that Paul is talking about is certainly a persecution suffering, a suffering for righteousness sake. And yet he turns on that in verse 4 in the middle there and says, and so we can comfort those who are in any affliction. Yours is different. But I can still comfort you in your affliction. I can still be the comfort. I can still be the help to you. And it doesn't have to be a comparison game, but I have compassion on your suffering because I've gone through suffering too. And the God who has comforted me and helped me through my suffering, let me then be a one who can comfort you through your suffering, which changes how we handle suffering. Our purpose in suffering is to not wallow in self-pity and attracting attention. God says, here's what I want you to do with your suffering. I want you to comfort other people. Not do a, woe is me, everybody pay attention to me, my life is terrible, isn't it awful, it's just, you know, it's all about me. Paul could do that. Paul could say, man, you ought to just think about what I've gone through. But what we are supposed to do is we're supposed to take that comfort and look at our suffering and use that to comfort other people. Friends, please consider how you handle suffering can be one of the greatest comforts you can give others who are suffering. How you handle trials, how you handle pressure, How you handle distress, how you handle all of those life difficulties is a huge way that you can be a conduit of God's comfort comfort to other people because they see how you are going through it and know that they can do likewise. I cannot tell you how many people that I know in this church as well as in other places that I know of their suffering, I know of their trials, I know of their circumstances and their difficulties, and their great faithfulness, their steadfastness, their continued encouragement in Christ is a huge encouragement to me in all of my affliction and distress. It is a great way that we encourage other people and give them comfort. Please consider by the same token, though, if we utterly fail in our distress and in our affliction, then that can be the opposite outcome to people who are watching us, that now they are discouraged and not comforted by your suffering because they see us fall apart not act as Christians anymore, lose faith in God. Paul is putting his finger on something very important here and saying there is a function to suffering and it is a beautiful function and purpose to suffering is that that allows me to help other people. And in the context of this, you have critics who are saying of Paul, you can't be an apostle because you suffer so much. This is one of the big problems that that Paul will face. This is something he will talk about many times in this letter. And the critics are saying, you couldn't be an apostle. How could be an apostle of Jesus Christ suffer to the degree like you suffer? You must not be legitimate. And Paul immediately is spinning that back and saying, you know what the purposes of all of my suffering as an apostle is to give you comfort. I go through these things to help you. 
And we have to have that view. And that's the view he's trying to give these Corinthians. Our suffering has at least one purpose. Comfort other people. Help other people through their distress, through their difficulty, through their affliction. And that's why Paul could use this language like this to say, well, the comfort that I have received in God, this is the comfort that I'm now going to share with you. Let me help you. Let me give that same hope and give that same comfort to you. Verse 5 is so great. Because what Apostle Paul says is, it doesn't matter the degree of the affliction, how hard the pressure is, how much, how great the distress is. There's an equal amount of comfort that God gives. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. The, the framework reminds me of, of Romans where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. And here is, as we suffer for Christ, there's just as much comfort in Christ that we find as well. And this is what Paul is saying, that he and Timothy were suffering for the sake of righteousness, but we know that we have comfort in that. That even as we suffer for the cause of Christ, there's comfort in knowing that we're suffering for the cause of Christ. That sounds so strange. (laughs) And yet that's what he says. He says, we have comfort in that. We know what we're doing. We know what we are offering up before God. Which leads to one of the key themes of this book. Is a theme that we will look at again and again. As we have been studying the book of Job and talking about suffering and how God runs the world and how we perceive suffering in our Sunday night study. This Sunday morning study is now going to run alongside of that because this book is going to talk very much about the way we come to know the power of God is not through comfort and it's not through good times, but it is actually comes through suffering. Think about this is where he starts it and he ends it with a thorn in the flesh at the end of the book. This is where he's going in this. is talking about the way we come to know God. The way we begin to understand his immense might and greatness and come to a great faith in him is not through pleasure. Which is what I would want it to be. I don't want it to be through pain and distress and trial and suffering. But Paul's going to teach us quite a bit in this book about that, that that's exactly what it does, how much it changes us. In fact, you'll notice that's what he, he gets right to that in verses 8 through 11, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Now, what he's going to tell them is not the, let me just tell you my story because I need to gloat a little bit and boast a little bit. That's not what he does. Paul would never do that. Paul is not about self-seeking and, you know, let me give you my list of all my things of how I'm an apostle. It's silly for us to look at the apostle Paul and go, well, he wrote a whole letter all about himself with absolutely nothing in regards to how that helps anybody. And that's the point here. Notice, 
For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver again. He tells them, here's what I want you to learn is let me tell you what happened to me so that you can have the same comfort and same confidence. I want you to think about Paul for a minute. Think about Paul for a minute. How often do we think of Paul as spiritual Superman? I mean, that's what I do. You know, he goes into a city, takes a beating, gets stoned and left for dead, and pops up, keeps on ticking, and there he goes. He just, you know, keeps on preaching. You think, that guy, you know, we all gravitate to Peter. (laughs) I don't know that many of us go, yeah, I feel like Paul. (laughs) I feel like Peter. Peter who... In difficulty of denying the faith, you know, uh, of being challenged, of confessing and then denying him. But Paul, Paul's the spiritual superman. Listen to what Paul says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. That we despaired of life itself. Now I can relate to that. <laughs> I can touch that and go, oh, okay. He, he's not Superman. He says, we despaired of life. This was so painful to us. In fact, verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We were done. So utterly burdened beyond our strength. I can raise my hand and go, yeah, I felt that way. Burdened beyond my strength. Way beyond what I felt like my limits were. So what was Paul's comfort? Where is the comfort in feeling like you've received the sentence of death and you've been taken to the very end of your rope that you despair of life itself? Verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. (laughs) Paul goes, so here's how we got through that. Here's the comfort that we received when we were so utterly despairing of life itself that it was beyond our strength and we thought we'd receive the sentence of death. He says, here's the comfort that we had. It was to make us stop relying on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises us. We need that, don't we? Because that's one of the great functions of trials is to get us to stop relying upon ourselves. It's what a trial does. It really is what suffering and distress and pressure and trials are supposed to do, and they do it very well. Suffering and trials, it immediately produces a recognition in us that we have absolutely no control 
And trying to depend upon myself is completely futile. It's immediately the reality you come to. You're at a loss. You go, I can't fix this. I can't change this. It's not getting any better. There's a purpose to suffering. There's a purpose to distress. And there's a purpose to trials. And Paul says, one of the things that that teaches us is that our only response should be depending upon God. It's to move us away from a dependence on self, upon having a self-reliance, I can do it, independent attitude. And says, you know what it caused us to do? It moved us to be able to depend upon Him the way that God wants us to. Now, I want you to observe verse 10 because what he says here, I think is particularly fascinating, especially after what he just said in verses 3 through 6. Verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, And He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Now notice what He did. He goes, here's how I was able to have comfort. Here's how I was able to have hope. I know that God delivered Christ from the dead. And I know that He delivered us before. Therefore, He will deliver us again. That's His connection. The end of verse 9, it causes us not to rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why raises the dead? Because they felt they had received the sentence of death. They thought they were doomed. And he says, I could look back at Christ and go, well, God delivered Christ. And then he says in verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. That he goes forward at the end of verse 9 and says, that we have set our hope that he will deliver us again in the future. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Here he says, sometimes God comforts us by ultimately delivering us out of the affliction. He says, in this circumstance, that happened. We utterly despaired for life itself. We were burdened beyond our strength. And he says here in verse 10... That He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. So this time, God delivered Him. But other times, God's comfort is to help through the affliction. In fact, when we get to the very end, Paul will say, I had this thorn in the flesh that I... Prayed three times for it to be removed. The answer is no. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes what God does is He does put an end to the trial and say, okay, this is of limited duration. It will come to an end. And there is your comfort. And sometimes... There is no end. And you have comfort in affliction. I always want it just to be end. But in studying Job, you get a sense of that. And you get a sense of that here with the Apostle Paul. I was reading on Facebook last night, a friend of mine posted something that was very counter to everything I feel like I've been teaching lately. 
he said something to the effect of trying to, I mean, he's trying to be encouraging, but he said, basically, don't worry, it always gets better, and always was capitalized. No, it doesn't. That's false hope. No, it doesn't. This is not always going to get better. It could get worse. It could get much worse. Imagine after Job chapter 1, somebody said, don't worry, Job, it always gets better, and then chapter 2 happened. No, it doesn't. It doesn't always get better. And this is what Paul is saying. Sometimes you are delivered out of it. And we praise God and go, He delivered us and He can deliver us again. And sometimes this is your lot in life. And this is your affliction. And this is your distress. But there's a God of comfort in the affliction. In that distress. To help you and comfort you through that. Isn't that what he told these Corinthians already back in the first letter that we know very well that nothing's overtaken you, nothing beyond your strength, God is faithful. There's a way out. He's, He's already told them that. And so here's that same idea coming back around again. This very picture of how God is able to comfort, how God is able to deliver. So let me end then with this. The big message here is that The comfort that we find in God in the midst of trials and suffering and distress. The goal of that is not for you and us and me to be comfortable. That's what I want to do with the comfort of God. I got through the trial. I can sit back on the couch and be comfortable. Thank you, God. Here I sit at ease. Paul goes, no, 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 no. The comfort that you have received from God makes you now go be comforters to other people. Now you help them in their affliction. You comfort them with the comfort that God has given you. You see yourself then as a conduit then of God's comfort. If you have gone through any distress, if you've gone through any pressure, any trial, and have found any comfort whatsoever, which is the comfort of God, you now are commissioned to go be a comforter to other people. There's your purpose. And that's what he gives these Corinthians is to see yourself as a comforter, to be the one who can usher in God's comfort to other people, to those who are suffering. To conclude, then, consider these questions in the midst of trials and suffering and distress. How can I be God's comfort to someone else today? Now, I'm talking about you're in your trial. I'm in my suffering, in my distress, in my grieving, in my difficulty, in my pressure. How can I comfort someone else today? What can I say or what can I do to impart God's comfort to another person in this room who is suffering? How can I use my pain to help others in their suffering? How can I use what I've gone through? And please keep advised, not by telling the other person, my suffering's worse than yours. <laughs> it's not comfort. Paul doesn't do that. But instead shows and says, look at what I've gone through. You can do it too. And friends, we're in this together. It's one of the beautiful things about the church. It is what it means that we talked about last week of being members one of another. 
We're in this together. We're working together. We're mourning together. We are suffering together and we are overjoyed together. Whatever the circumstance, we are doing it together. Just as much as one member of your physical body hurts, so all the body hurts. I was thinking about that this morning. I got a splinter from being in the attic. Here is my whole body paying attention to this really small black dot right here on my finger. It's all red and inflamed. I'm trying to get it down. I'm thinking, here's this teeny little thing. And the whole body is like, ouch. That's the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. One hurts. We all hurt together. We're all working together. We're here in this together. In fact, notice one of the comforts he gives, verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. I love how he rounds that out. God is a God of comfort, and I'm going to comfort you. And here's how you can comfort us and help us. Pray, 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 pray. The easiest thing you can do, and yet one of the most important things you can do to help those who are suffering is pray. One of the best comforts you can give is tell somebody, I'm praying for you, and actually do it. I prayed for you last week. And that's what Paul says. Here's the comfort you can give us. Just pray for us. Just pray for us. You can be a conduit of God's comfort if you just pray for us. You can be there walking with me hand in hand through these these things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. May we comfort others. And see ourselves as tools to encourage each other through suffering and difficulty and to use our suffering to rely upon God and to help others do likewise. We're going to sing a song and we're going to invite you to come to Jesus and see the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful hope that we have in Christ that this is a means by which we come to know God. I don't want suffering in my life, and yet suffering is a tool that God uses so that we can come to know God, that we can understand his power, that we can no longer rely upon self, but then also have the compassion to help other people come to Christ and follow him faithfully. If you're ready to follow him, will you turn away from your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? We invite you to do that now. Won't you come while we stand and